At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Get in zone, AutoZone. Welcome to AutoZone. What are you working on today? I got to change the oil in my car. Right now, get five quarts of Pennzoil Platinum Full Synthetic with an STP Extended Life oil filter for only $36.99. What do I do with my old oil? We can recycle your used oil for free. And do you have oil for my old work truck? You can find the right high mileage oil to help it go farther right here at AutoZone. AutoZone. Restrictions apply. What's going on, everyone? Welcome into the Wednesday edition of the Pelicans podcast presented by SeatGeek. I'm Daniel Salerson. Hope everyone has had a great week, of course, on the NFL side, gearing up for the NFL draft. But there still is basketball to be talked about. And the sports world and the NBA world was raving about the documentary The Last Dance, focusing on Michael Jordan in the last season of that dynasty with the Chicago Bulls, 1997 and 98. So I thought today would be a great opportunity to have a roundtable discussion with some of the smartest basketball people I know, and the reason why I'm saying that on the line with me right now. Of course, we have Andrew Lopez from ESPN.com covering the Pelicans, Will Guillory of The Athletic, and Christian Clark of NOLA.com, Times Picayune, and The Advocate. Andrew, I'll start with you. Of course, this is on the Worldwide Leader of Sports, which currently pays your paycheck. Um, first of all, how are you, and what did you think of the first two episodes of the podcast, or of the uh, of the last dance? They, they they do sign my paycheck right now, which is which is fantastic. Uh, <laughs> but it was, no, I thought it was great. I I uh, I told several people that night. I think people felt this way that uh, if if you'd have played all ten episodes on Sunday night, I'd have stood up till six in the morning and just binge watched them all. Uh, I didn't want to turn it off. I was uh, was 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 all into it, and, and even knowing that the the Rodman episode was coming up next uh, in episode three was even more. So I just wanted to, to keep watching, but it was just uh tremendous value. And I'm, I'm glad that they had the unedited version um, on ESPN where you, you, cause it, it brought across that extra feel to it of, you knew this is how, how some of these guys talk. You knew, you know, Michael Jordan didn't have the cleanest mouth sometimes. So the, the, the fact that you were, uh, able to hear hear the, that that rawness kind of uh, helped for me and, and, and made it kind of stand out a little bit. Will, what did you like about it? Did you feel the nostalgia coming back, just seeing the 97-98 Bulls and how the dynasty was built and just going back to Jordan early in his career? Uh, what did you think about that going back to the first two episodes? 
Yeah, I thought it was great. I, I think, you know, it's, it was really cool just to see all of that behind-the-scenes stuff. And I think, you know, with Jordan, there's so much, you know, nostalgia and so much kind of this aura around him. And I think it was cool just to kind of even see some of his flaws and see some of his bad decisions he was making and how he was kind of cruel to some people around him. And I think, you know, in this era, we know so much about these guys like LeBron, like Zion, like, you know, Kevin Durant, where we know every little thing about them. And so many, so many of their flaws stand out just as much as what makes them great as basketball players. And that kind of gets thrown away from the guys, you know, who played during the 90s and the 80s and stuff like that. So to be able to see, like, yeah, Jordan was great, but, you know, he was kind of mean to his GM, and he, I don't know if it was a great idea to go play five-on-five five when you're coming off a broken foot and, and not tell your team. So I think it was cool just to kind of hear some of those stories and stuff that, you know, a lot of people really don't know. I, I definitely learned some things from the first two episodes. So uh, I know there's going to be a lot more, you know, the rest of the way, and I think it was – nice just to kind of learn those lessons and teach them to a new generation for a bunch of people who just didn't know that kind of stuff. And Christian, you talked about it on Twitter that night about some of the things that you were able to learn, including that, you know, the, uh, now the Mercedes Benz Superdome hosted Michael Jordan and UNC against Georgetown in the next championship with Jordan shot. You, you kind of were surprised that you didn't know that was in new Orleans. What else did you learn about? Um, what, anything from that, uh, from the first two episodes? Yeah, this is, uh, this is all kind of new stuff for me. I mean, I'd, I'd gone back and watched a couple of his, his games during the 90s, and I'd read uh, Sam Smith's book. But for me, you know, what I remember the first time around uh, was Jordan on the Wizards. I actually had a, a Michael Jordan Wizard jersey, and I was like in elementary school. A little bit of an admer- embarrassing admission. Uh, but, yeah, man, it's it's cool just to see him looking back in this stuff. I mean, I think, you know, part of what makes it so good is that, Jordan doesn't do that much media anymore. Like he kind of just like stays in the background and, and, you know, I think there, when, when he does speak, it, it really matters now. Um, I think that's part of what makes it interesting is that we just don't hear from him that often. Um, I thought, you know, first two episodes are really well done. Just kind of a small thing that I liked was uh, the director would hand him the iPad and like show him all the clips and, and get his reactions. I thought that worked really well. So, I mean, yeah, man, I'm uh, eating it up. I thought it was, I thought it was great. Now, of course, everyone wants to compare Michael Jordan. There's always the greatest of all time, whether it's LeBron James, you know, you throw Kobe Bryant in there, Will Chamberlain, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, but obviously MJ LeBron debate is one that's going to go on. seems like for a while now, when you're watching this, and I'll start with you, Andrew, again, when you're watching this documentary and learning more about Jordan, and how he was on and off the court. Does this change any of the conversation? Does it make it solidify him as the greatest basketball of all time to you? Or did it maybe change your viewpoint on anything? No, I think as the, the older guy in this conversation right now, uh, amongst us us right now, I, I mean, I, I kind of was, I remember how he was in the 90s. I remember how big it was when he left the sport to go play baseball and, I watching the, the, the second three Pete was like my prime basketball watching years. I was just in like, just, I wanted every, uh, I wanted to consume everything possible. So to me, it doesn't really change much, but uh, I, I did kind of want to let it just stand as it is and, 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 and be this documentary. I didn't want it to turn into this 
MJ LeBron debate, every little thing turned into like, oh man, MJ LeBron, like, you know, when uh, Ramona's uh, story she did about how the documentary finally came to get greenlit, uh, it would just happen to be during the the Cavs championship parade, and that's when he finally said, okay, let's let's do it. And people ran with that, and it got to a point where on, I think on Sunday night I, I was I was real close to just muting the word LeBron mm-hmm. uh, on Twitter because I just I just wanted to enjoy it as as it was. Um, so in terms of the the actual debate itself, it, it didn't really change anything for me. Maybe for somebody like Christian who apparently didn't know Michael Jordan played for the Bulls uh, or <laughs> or any history prior to two thousand two. Um, Maybe it changed it for him, but no, for me, it was, uh, it, 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 it kind of kept everything the same. Well, let's go to Christian then. What, what did you think about? Did that help you change the way you thought about Michael Jordan or any of this debate on MJ versus LeBron? Or did it kind of, your thoughts kind of stayed the same based on the book that you read and things that you knew about Michael before? Wait, he played for the Bulls, Andrew? <laughs> yeah, man. A uh, whole bunch oh, okay. of stuff. I don't know. We'll we'll have to go sit down and talk over one of your five minute okay. lunches. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Um, I don't know, man. I, I I'm with Andrew. I don't really. This isn't the time to to compare. I think and like rank your goats. I think for for me, I'm I'm with him. I just want to kind of just sit back and just appreciate MJ's greatness for for who he was. Um, you know, I will say one of the things that was really surprising to me was just the state of the Chicago Bulls when they drafted MJ. Uh, I mean, I got a good laugh out of traveling cocaine circus like everybody else. Yeah. Uh, it was kind of a reminder of just like how, you know, the state of the NBA in like the, the 70s and the early 80s. Like, I mean, I guess it was getting better in the 80s, but still there's, you know, it could be pretty rough. What about you, Will? Um, I know a lot of people talked about also the dynamic between Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen um, at the very beginning, too. Um, also going into Scottie's, you know, last year with everything about him demanding a trade, things like that. What about the dynamic of those two? Um, did you kind of learn anything about that? Or we still really don't know enough about it with just two episodes in? Yeah, I, I was – I was really happy that they did give Scotty some love really early on because I do think Scotty is the – I don't know if forgotten is the right word, but he's the guy that doesn't get enough credit from that Bulls run just because we all want to talk about Mike all the time and we talk about Phil being the greatest coach ever and all that kind of stuff. But I do agree with Jordan when he says, you know, I couldn't have done all of these great things I did without Scotty by my side. And we've seen that throughout NBA history that – you could be an all-time great, you could put up all these great numbers, but you need people around you to support you and lift you up, you know, in some of your tough moments. And I think Scotty was the perfect complement to Jordan in so many different ways. And the fact that he was as great as he was and was willing to bow down and not be jealous of all the spotlight that Jordan got and, you know, not be a guy that demanded more shots or demanded more credit from the media and stuff like that. Obviously, he wanted a little bit more money, and I think all of us would agree that with you. None of us were uh, – uh, all of us feel like we could use a little bit more money, especially when we – I was looking at my check and Scotty, and then I was looking at MJ's check. I was like, man, you know, he's making 30, I'm making two. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I won five championships just like he did. Uh, but I think, you know, uh, we guys like that need to get more credit because I, I 100% agree with Andrew. I tweeted it right before the doc. 
I hate the LeBron versus George stuff. It drives me crazy because the, the eras are so different. We judge those guys so differently. Like I said before, we, we take so much irrelevant stuff just because we know so much more information about LeBron and we hold it against them. And we just kind of forget that stuff with Jordan, like the whole Jordan golfing with Danny Ainge before game seven. I mean, imagine if LeBron was golfing with Paul George before game seven uh, when he was with the Heat. Uh, people would have been killing him. And, you know, that now that it's MJ, you know, it's kind of irrelevant at this point. But I think just learning all of those different details from back then and learning all of the different, you know, personality traits of these guys. And I think uh, it was a really good job with, with those guys to, to really emphasize the importance of guys like Scottie Pippen. And in this next episode, I'm, I'm assuming they're going to do the same thing with Dennis Rodman. As great as Jordan was, what made that Bulls dynasty as great as they were was the fact that they had all of these different pieces and all of these personalities that fit together so well, and they were able to lift each other up, you know, and, and put MJ in a position where he can be, you know, the greatest player of all time, but you can't get there without the support system around you. Piggybacking on what Will said, Andrew, when you talk about some of the things that you learned or some of the things that were mentioned as far as Scottie Pippen and his trade demand, uh, treating general manager Jerry Krause at the time, the flack that Jerry Krause got, even though he was the one that put a lot of these pieces together for the six championships. Did your mind ever go to comparing that dynasty or that situation to anything going on now? Man, if this was happening now with Twitter or based on the NBA landscape, how this would, would go down. Did any of that strike into your mind when, when thinking about this when you're watching? Yeah, the the biggest thing to me was was what if this happened in like the Twitter era, like this mm -hmm. whole team, like there's, I, I, like, do they win six championships? Do they stay together for, for eight years at that point to, to, to win that much? You know, uh, Scotty, Scotty was the perfect Robin. He was the perfect number two guy. And uh, he, he did everything. I mean, he, he, the, the way he played on defense, the amount of steals he had, the blocks, everything. He was just a great all-around player and the perfect complement to Jordan. And, like, I, I just don't know if, if – you know, you look at the, the Bulls right now and it took them so long to get past our packs and finally move on and get new new blood in there. Um, I, does Reinsdorf make a move if it's it, the this Twitter error? I, you know, what is – you know, how many people have cell phones out where, like, you know, Michael Jordan's playing, you know, gambling until 3, 4, 5 in the morning? Mm -hmm. You know, how big is that a story? I mean, imagine if LeBron was at Harris at 5 in the morning, you know, before they were supposed to play the Pelicans. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. you know, that, it would be all over social media. It would be all over everywhere. And I think those outside pressures would just try to eat at this team even more. And it would have just been fascinating to – to try to view this team in in the the social media era where everybody's trying to get their shine. I mean, you're you're looking at on on teams like this, like the the tenth eleventh man is trying to get their shine. I mean, you're you're talking about like Randy Brown trying to get his shine on this team, or like Dickie Simpkins, like those types of guys. It, it, it just it would it would it would be really fascinating for me to see how how that works. Uh, in today's culture, and if if they were even you know would, would have been able to pull it off. Yeah, well, I mean, imagine today if it, uh, go ahead, say, Imagine today if the uh, if the most famous basketball player in the the planet was calling his GM crumbs. Like, what would what would Twitter have done with that? 
right. I mean, there's a lot of things that you thought about, like what would happen now. And even just looking at Michael Jordan himself, you know, in this day and age of basketball, it's all about teaming up and, you know, joining forces. And back then it was, you know, you wanted to make sure you did everything you can to beat the Detroit Pistons of the world, the Boston Celtics, things like that. There was more true rivalries um, back in those days. So, Will, it got me thinking about those kind of situations now with Michael Jordan. Like, would you ever think in, in your right mind that he could be one that, if he was playing in this era, would be trying to get people to come on his team, recruiting, or would he be one of those guys, kind of the Giannis Antetokounmpo route as of now, saying that, you know, I don't want to go anywhere. I want, you know, I can, I'm confident that I can win a championship with the guys I have around me. How do you think, how would you think Michael Jordan would be during this era of basketball right now if he was playing? Yeah, I think a whole lot of that when I hear that from older guys is real revisionist history because we hear guys in retirement start telling stories like we heard, like KG, for example, was a guy that was killing LeBron for the Miami Heat thing. Oh, he went out the wrong way. You know, he, he they didn't do it the right way in Miami. And then we hear in retirement that he was calling up Kobe and trying to join the Lakers back in the day. And you hear all of these stories about guys where, you know, I, Jordan wasn't calling guys around and trying to get more players that come to the Bulls because they were winning championships every year. They they didn't need to call anybody. But if you were in a position like KG where you were eight years in Minnesota and y'all didn't win anything, I would think at some point you get a little frustrated and you want to get some help. So I, I think, you know, a lot of that stuff is, is just based on your situation and what GM you have and what type of team they build and how well y'all did in the draft every year and how you develop young players. And a, and a lot of that dictates your relationship with other players around the league and how much you kind of look around and, and say, I want that guy. or I want to play over there. A lot of that is just dependent upon situations. And I think, you know, uh, looking back, I, I think a lot of that stuff, uh, the biggest thing, uh, I mean, when you look at those contracts, uh, guys are allowed to, to sign these long extended contracts, six, seven years. So that played a big part in guys not going anywhere because they were on a contract with the Bulls for seven years. So that was seven years with the playoff series against the Celtics, against the Pistons. And nowadays, most of these star guys are reluctant to sign more than three years on any given contract because they want that flexibility. They want the power to kind of dictate what's going on. And they don't want a Jerry Cross to look at them and say, hey, you signed a seven-year deal, so you're stuck. And you can't do anything. I think these guys are bringing in so much money and they're selling so much merchandise. And their social media presence is so powerful that they don't want some guy sitting up in the in the front office dictating what's going on with their career, and, and I don't see really any issue with that. I, I think the game really should be dictated by the guys on the court more than the guys in suits. Me personally, I, I think some people probably would disagree with that, but I think with this game in particular, the NBA having a guy like LeBron, like MJ, like Kevin Durant, Steph Curry in your franchise changes so much about everything that goes on, you know, with your team they should have some say about what's going on. And I think some guys kind of take that a little too far. Uh, but I think, yeah, I think this era, I, I don't have much of an issue with the way some guys have it. Of course, some guys don't go about it the right way. Uh, but I think with MJ, that team was just so well put together. And I think uh, Terry Crown got a lot of, you know, hate on social media because of some of the stuff. But you do have to give him credit for, like, drafting Tony Kukoc in the second round or – you know, going to make that Scotty move or going to get Ron Harper, going to get Steve Kerr, Dennis Rodman, all these guys who built a, a championship roster that was able to sustain, you know, for years and deal with all of that pressure. 
but a big part of being in the gym is also your relationships and how you talk to guys and how you handle them. And, and that matters also. And he failed in some of those areas. So uh, I think it was really interesting to see, you know, how every little detail in building a team matters. And it's not just, okay, how good is your two guard? How good is your center? It's relationships. It's the contracts you put together. It's the money. It's the coaching staff. All of that stuff matters if you want to be a really great team. It's a really good point. I'm going to have one more question about the last dance, and I want to get your thoughts on kind of what's going on right now with the NBA and the hiatus going on. Um, but also another thing about this this documentary that I really liked in the first couple episodes is all the cameo appearances, whether it's guys, former players or coaches you're seeing on the court or the people that they interviewed and their captions or how they describe them. Um, Christian, I'll start <laughs> with you. Is there anyone that you saw on there that not only maybe surprised you, but you're kind of happy to see them play a role in this documentary anyone surprise you with their cameo appearance oh i mean i knew former chicago resident barack obama was going to be on there <laughs> from the previews but uh i mean it's it's crazy all all the the different people they got to sit down for this i think i saw they got 106 people to participate um i mean it just just like the catalog of people who are included on this project is is pretty incredible and just just like the amount of of tape and information they had to comb through to, to put this together is crazy too. I mean, I'm, I imagine when they told, uh, you know, the director like, Hey, we want to move this up. I, I can't imagine the stress that he had of like, Oh man, I gotta, I gotta finish this months earlier than I originally thought. I think I saw too that like he's still working on the back end. Like the, yeah. you know, the seventh, yeah. eighth, ninth, tenth episodes aren't even completely finished yet. Like he's going to be working until the wire. And how that's about doing it in the middle of a quarantine as well? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's the crazy thing. Will, what do you think uh, was Rick Carlisle's reaction when seeing him from back in the day getting owned by Michael Jordan in that playoff game? <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure that's not fun for a lot of those guys to watch those clips of MJ roasting you, especially with the way the game was played back then. I think a lot of people – uh, looking back at those old clips and they and they hear words like illegal defense and they're like, wait, what? What's that? You can't just send a guy in the middle of the lane and just keep MJ from getting to the rim. And it's like, nah, you had to sit there and just watch MJ play one on one and just roast your guy. And you had to just live with it and either send a double or just let Rick Carlisle be the guy with that look on his face after MJ drops 55 on him. Uh, I, I, that's the one of the hilarious things, just seeing how how different the game was played back then and how they were like 12 people in the lane on all of these MJ mid-range jumpers because that's just the way the game was played back then and you kind of just had to let him do his thing one-on-one. And I and I, I, I know I said before that I hate the LeBron comparisons, but, man, could you imagine the era where LeBron was just allowed to play one-on-one as much as those guys were allowed to play back then and just right. what he would do to people? I mean, we, we saw a little better of that this year when some teams didn't send doubles at LeBron, but, man, I couldn't imagine just, just being like, hey, just – just put uh, Jeff Hornacek out there on LeBron and just let him play one-on-one. Let's see what happens. Andrew, did you do you expect Rick Carlisle's hair to look like it was back then based on the fact that we have no access to getting haircuts right now? Do you think when we get back to this that Rick Carlisle will have that long hair maybe from just after watching that? I remember when Rick Carlisle would coach with hair. Yeah. Um, so it, 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 that, that part didn't surprise me as much. I'll tell you what, the, this was the – the most relatable thing about this whole documentary, there's not many times where, you know, John Q. Public can can relate to Michael Jordan, but 
you know, it, it, it was the part early on, and Christian brought up when they would, you know, give the iPads to, to the other people. When when they gave the when when Dolores Jordan uh, read the letter that he he sent her while he was at UNC, and it mentions the you know it's hey how you doing I hope everybody's good oh by the way here's my bank account information so you can give me some money yeah. uh, that was the, that was the part to me that just kind of stood out because it like like at one point Michael Jordan was a regular dude obviously it wasn't for long. Uh, he wasn't he wasn't a regular guy for long, but there was that one part where like MJ was just like any other college kid who needed money from his parents. And uh that part was really, really funny to me and it kinda you know, that's that's the thing that kinda stood out the most in the off the basketball side of things. Yeah. Food and stamps were the big priority for Michael Jordan when sending letters to his <laughs> mom. And so the stamps was kinda surprising. <laughs> I know he liked sending letters, but the fact that that was the one thing you asked for besides food. Um, I was a little surprised by that, but it was really cool um, to see the interaction with uh, his mom reading and, and things like that. Absolutely. Before I let you guys go, obviously we're still waiting word on Adam Silver and kind of what direction the NBA goes. And it, it's such an unpredictable situation right now. A lot of uncertainty. And I know, you know, it's hard for you guys to even guess on what may happen, but given the Pelican situation right now where, you know, they were playing so well before this hiatus hit, they were had one of the easier schedules down the road. Memphis had one of the toughest. It didn't guarantee that the Pelicans were going to get in, but you know, you're three and a half back going into a huge game against Sacramento before the NBA season was suspended. Um, Andrew, I'll start with you and go down the line. Um, do you think that it's possible that the Pelicans one will be able to finish every single regular season game and get their full chance at making the playoffs? Or do you think they'll get any shot at it based on what you're hearing or, or based on what we know right now, which is really not a lot. I think there's almost close to zero chance that we have a full completion of the regular season, a full set of playoffs. I, I just don't think uh, time-wise it's going to happen. I don't think where we're at uh, with our medical advances right now that that's going to happen. I know a lot of places are talking about. A lot of states have said, I think you know we're not we're not going to open until until there's a vaccine. Um, so for a lot of people it's it's an it's a complete no go so i think your your best chance is the is the bubble city idea um whether that's in vegas whether that's in orlando um you know at disney or or, or what have you but uh, i i think you 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 will end up getting some sort of closure to the regular season um for pelicans fans i don't i don't know if it's it's going to be exactly what you want because i i I don't think you're going to get a chance to make up three and a half games in some sort of regular season. If they do have a, a, I guess a regular season finish, I could see it being something like, you know, five to six games. I don't think if they brought everybody back for a training camp type style, uh, you know, workouts and doing all that. And Brian Winhorse reported, you know, it was something like, you know, there, there's going to be 25 days before we, we see actual game action. Um, I don't think you'd go through all that to bring somebody back for one game in sort of like a like a one-game play-in tournament, a single elimination tournament. But what I do think you do is possibly you just go straight to playoffs. Um, if you don't have that little part of a regular season, maybe you have a play-in tournament to get in. But I think the most likely scenario now is, is they will finish the season, but it's 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 I, I feel like it's leaning more towards let's just get to the playoffs and play that out rather than anything else. 
my vote for a bubble city is the Bahamas. If it was up to me, that's where we'd all go for this. Um, so maybe that'll happen. Maybe it won't. Um, Will, hearing from what Andrew just said, and also looking at it from how this affects potentially next season, as far as if they do start later, you know, how does this look for the draft and how the, you know, the regular season may be starting later on. Um, do you think there's a situation where they get creative with how they end this season just for some closure as far as tournament style? Would you be opposed to that if they kind of change the format of how a champion is crowned this year? Yeah, I, I do think they have to get creative somehow. And my vote for a bubble city would, and I think Andrew would agree with me, would, would be Portland for my own personal reasons. And how, <laughs> how I love to just have Knock the whole night store to myself. <laughs> my wallet, my wallet would not be happy with that one. No. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I do think you got to get creative. I, I, I know, I agree with Andrew that I think his Pelicans fans probably won't be happy with the whatever solution Adam Silver comes up with because I just, I just don't know how there's any way with everything going on and no real vaccine inside in the near future that you can bring 30 teams, 450 guys plus coaches staff plus training staff into a situation where everybody feels safe and everybody feels like, you know, they can go forward. And I think the last thing the league wants is like the third string point guard for Cleveland to come up sick. And that's the reason you got to shut down the season. You know, I think the, the, the smaller number of teams and smaller number of players involved, the better just because it's easier to contain. So I, I think that the best case scenario would be for them to just go ahead and fast forward straight to the playoffs and just get it and go straight there and maybe even eliminate, you know, the first round or maybe even the second round and just get straight to, you know, the, the teams that really, really have a chance. And I, I, do, I do think it's kind of unfortunate because no matter what, uh, we're all going to love watching games if they do happen, if we do end up getting to see, you know, Lakers versus Clippers or Giannis versus the Celtics or, you know, those those series we've been waiting for, if it ends up being like a best of three type of thing. I do think we're going to end up looking back at this season and say, man, you know, if the if the Lakers do end up winning, you know, does that ring really do count for LeBron? Or should we really say this is Giannis's first ring if he wins it under these circumstances? But I do think you got to be smart if you're Adam Silver and put these guys in a position where everybody can be safe, even beyond the players, the refs, the, the coaches, the training staff people. I think you got to worry about everybody in this situation just because, you know, it can hit anybody at any point. That's what we've seen, you know, with this disease is that, you know, uh, there's nobody that's safe from it. So I think, you know, you got to be as safe as possible. And I think you got to put the guys in a situation where uh, it's it's not a, so many people that they can come from anywhere. So I think you, you got to cut it down as much as possible. And then you got to get creative with the draft, with, you know, free agency and all that kind of stuff. And I think they're lucky that they can kind of follow the blueprint of what the NFL is doing right now. They can kind of learn from some of the good things and some of the mistakes the NFL is going to be going through over these next couple months. But it's just, I mean, I would love to see a full court uh, Zion uh, Lonzo Lob just one more time in person. <laughs> I miss that. I miss seeing my man Uncle E throwing up floaters and uh, Nicolo Melli doing all type of funky stuff and looking at uh, – Christian funny whenever he says redacted. I'm not going to say those three letters. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but, uh, man, I, I just really find it hard to believe that, you know, Adam Silver is going to put those, those players in that type of risk when the numbers are going to be so large. And I think he's got to get to the point where just at best we just got to go straight to the playoffs and just allow those teams to do, the, do their thing and see where the champion stands at the end. 
Yeah, it's certainly going to be a tough situation. And Christian, I'll let you add to what both Will and Andrew said, but I also want to ask you a question um, along with that is, do you, are you satisfied? You know, this is your first year covering the team. From what you saw at the end of the season leading up to the hiatus, are you convinced of what you saw from the Pelicans, or do you think there was an extra layer to them that we haven't seen yet based on the, the games that were left? Um, I, I mean, I think we got a, a pretty clear picture of, of what this team was in those 19 games that, that Zion Williamson played. I mean, they were a team that could consistently beat, you know, the, the bad and the average teams. They, they couldn't quite measure up to, you know, the really good teams. And, and that's okay with, I think, where they are in their life cycle right now. I mean, they just have so many young guys. I mean, they're, they're certainly entertaining. I mean, every day when, when Zion was came back, like I was waking up like, oh man, I can't wait to see what happens in this game today. Like I might get to see some stuff I've, I've never seen on a basketball court before. So um, I, I thought that stretch of games was, was really fun. It was just, it was just such a weird up and down season. I mean, you know, to lose 13 in a row and then have the chance to make the playoffs is, is pretty remarkable. And it's just a shame. Like we, we might not and probably won't get to see, you know, those final 18 games because, I mean, when, when the Pelicans were healthy, they really kind of cleaned up against those teams that, that had losing records. And I think 15 of the final 18 games were against teams with losing records. So I think there was a chance we saw them go on a run there. All right. Good stuff from all of you. Andrew Lopez, ESPN and ESPN.com. Will Guillory of The Athletic and Christian Clark from NOLA.com, Times Picking and Advocate. Guys, uh, I'm really glad we did this. Uh, I think we should try to do this at least once a week, talking about the last dance, because it is some sports right now that I think everyone can agree is certainly making things a little bit easier for at least those two hours every Sunday night. It's something else that we can look forward to. But hope you all are staying safe, and uh, hopefully I'll see you all soon and not be just talking to you all through a computer. Hope so too, buddy. Absolutely, man. Always great talking to you all guys, for sure. Always fun when we can chat with Andrew Lopez, Will Guillory, and Christian Clark. Of course, those three do a great job on the beat for the Pelicans all season long, and I've had a chance to get to know all of them really well from our traveling days and things like that. So it was great to hear from them, get their perspective on the last dance and also the, what the future holds for the NBA right now. And we'll certainly have them on um, a little later on. We'll take a break for the end of the week for the podcast. We'll let the NFL draft do its thing, and then we'll be back for three new podcasts next week. Um, feel free to follow us at Podcast Pelicans. Of course, follow the Pelicans on Twitter at Pelicans NBA. And you can follow myself at D Salerson if you have any guests that you would like to hear, whether it's from this team or from teams around the league or from staff around the league, broadcasters, players, you name it. We'll see what we can do here. But I hope everyone has a great rest of their week. Stay safe. Continue to practice that social distancing. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. Until then, I'm Daniel Salerson. Thanks for listening to the Pelicans podcast presented by Seeking.